Hey, we welcome you today to Mount Airy. I'm so glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us. We're in a sermon series, a summer series, through the book of 1 John, and just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through 1 John. And today we come to one of those passages of Scripture that perhaps you haven't heard a lot about. You haven't read this one very often, or you probably haven't seen a lot of messages on this Scripture. Uh, but it's in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're picking up the in verse 18 today. And in 1 John chapter 2, he tells us that we are living in a world of many antichrists. Again, that's not a message that you probably have often heard, but as we work our way through 1 John, that is indeed the message he tells us. Now, probably all of us have heard about the Antichrist. You've heard about that satanic superman who will one day step onto the stage of world history during the seven-year tribulation. And for a time, he will be the leader of the entire world. Uh, He will lead uh, the world rebellion against Christ. And he'll have an insatiable uh, hunger and appetite for death and destruction and devastation, especially of Christians. Over the centuries, you know as well as I do, that as evil men have risen up, and especially if if they have a bent towards destroying Christians, people have speculated if if that person is the Antichrist. Uh, For example, the Roman Nero, Roman Emperor Nero, was a human monster, and he loved to persecute Christians. Many thought that he perhaps could be the Antichrist. I'll give you an example of the kind of things that he did. He would have garden parties and he would tie Christians to the stake around his, uh, the garden there. And, and he would cover them in tar and he would burn them alive as human torches for his garden party. He would take Christians and he would sew them into the skins of animals. And then he would throw them into the Colosseum where the lions were just for sport, just so that he and and his friends could watch this spectacle. And so when people saw all that Nero did to to try to destroy and obliterate Christians, some pointed to him and said, he's probably the Antichrist. Others throughout history have raised up like that. Of course, you're familiar with Napoleon, with Hitler, and others like them who have done horrible things uh, against God's people, and people have speculated that perhaps they could be the Antichrist. You're probably well aware of all of that. What you may not realize is that we are living in a world of Antichrist right now. Yes, there is coming a day when the Antichrist, capital A, Antichrist, there's coming a day when the Antichrist will step onto the world stage. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that. But until that time, 1 John tells us that there are many Antichrists in our world. Many who oppose the words of Christ and the work of Christ. We read about it in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. 1 John chapter 2. Well, I'm in John chapter 2, excuse me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, everybody say even now. Even now, many antichrists have come. Even now, many antichrists have come. Now, I want to give you several things I want you to write down today if you're taking notes. This is kind of follow, just work our way through this text. The first thing I want you to see as we look at this text today is this, that we are living in the last hour. 
John tells us that two times in verse 18. Two times in verse 18, he uses that phrase. Look at it again. Dear friends, this is the last hour. And at the end of the verse, this is how we know it is the last hour. Now, when John wrote those words, did he mean or did he think that the world was coming to an end? Is that what he meant when he said, this is the last hour? Did he mean he thought the world was coming to an end? No, I don't think so. The phrase, the last hour, refers to that period of time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. You see, all of Old Testament history was preparing the way for Jesus. And then when Jesus stepped into history, God in flesh, when He died on the cross and cried out from the cross, it is finished. He was essentially saying, there is nothing more that needs to be done for the salvation of this world. It's finished. And then when He was buried and resurrected, what He said on the cross was validated. Now, here's what He meant. When John said, we're living in the last hour. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing left on God's calendar that has to occur before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything He did on the cross prepared for the salvation of the world. And so between the cross and His second coming, that period of time is the last hour. It's the last era before He returns. The last hour describes the kind of time, not the duration of time. We're living in that last era, those final days before Christ comes back. And the closer we get to that final day, the more active Satan's false teachers will be trying to lure people away from faith in Christ. That's why there are so many false teachers and false religions that are popping up around the world. Rapidly spreading throughout the world. So many false religions rapidly spreading throughout the world. It's because the closer we get to that final time, the more the false teachers, Satan false teachers, are trying to lure people away from faith in Christ. Not only that, have you noticed there is a growing intensity of evil in our world? Do you sense that? Do you see that as you read the news and watch the, 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 the uh, TV? Let me give you a few examples of this. In Nigeria. Now, the, the, the examples I'm going to give you are just recently, in the last few weeks or the last couple of months. This is not going back years and years and years. The examples I'm going to give you are just in the last few weeks or the last couple of months. In Nigeria, approximately 1,500 Nigerian Christians have been killed for the faith in the last seven months. The first seven months of 2014... Boko Haram and his militants have killed 1,505 Nigerian Christians, at least that many. 1,505 Nigerian Christians have died because of their faith in Christ in the first seven months of this year. Another example. In Iraq, Islamic militants have eradicated virtually every trace of Christianity in Mosul, which is the second largest city in Iraq. Christians were told... You leave, or you'll be executed. Leave this city now, or you will be executed. The reason they were told to leave is because they were Christians. It's the only reason they were told to leave, because they were Christians. And they were told to leave or be executed. 
And the militants then went in and confiscated, as these people were starting to leave, the militants went in and confiscated all of their possessions. Confiscated their houses, confiscated their cars, confiscated their clothes, confiscated even their wedding rings. And if it wouldn't come off, sometimes they left the finger in the ring as they removed it. That was in Iraq. In Syria. In Syria, last month, in Syria, nine Christians were crucified by ISIS because of their faith in Christ. Nine Christians were crucified, hung on crosses, left there for three days because of their faith in Jesus Christ. What John said 1,925 years ago is certainly true today. We are living in the last hour. We're living in that time frame between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, the more intense the evil and the deception will be. Now here's the second thing I want you to write down, if you're taking notes. John also tells us that we live in a world of Antichrist. In verse 18, he makes that very, very clear. Look what he says in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, the term Antichrist really has two meanings. That prefix, anti, really has a dual meaning in the Greek language. The prefix, anti, can mean against Christ. And that's probably the meaning you're most familiar with. Anti, against Christ. But that prefix can also mean in place of Christ. It can mean either one. Satan is fighting against Christ, but he is also substituting his counterfeits as alternatives to Christ. One does their work openly opposing Christ. The other does their work subtly infiltrating the people of God to lure people away from Christ. It's interesting that John tells us in verse 18 that there are Many of these people. There are many of these who are against Christ. There are many of these who are trying to put something in place of Christ. And John gives us three characteristics of these false teachers. I want you to write these down. The three characteristics comes right out of Scripture. Three characteristics of these false teachers, these antichrists. Little a, Christ. Antichrist. He said, first of all, they infiltrate and then leave the church. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John says these false teachers were at one time part of our churches. They were part of our group. They infiltrated our church. And that's what happens with false teachers even today. They, they infiltrate the church, they mingle among true believers, and they try to sabotage what God is doing in that group of believers through their false teaching. And eventually, they depart the fellowship. Eventually, false teachers always leave. But when they leave, they leave a wake of destruction behind them. And when they leave, they try to take immature believers with them. In fact, if you study the history of cults, you'll find out that in most cults, the leader of that cult started out in a local church. 
Just read about it. Most of the cult leaders started out in a local church. Uh, one example, I don't know if you remember this one, but years and years ago, a, a popular cult, if you will, a popular cult was the Moonies. Did you know that, uh, that he started out in a local church, but not only that, many of his followers, in fact, most of the Moonies, a good percentage of the Moonies, were former Baptists. They just were misled by the false teacher. You, you see, we so often don't understand what we believe. Like the man who was asked, what, what do you believe? He said, well, I, I believe what my pastor believes. He said, well, what does he believe? Well, he believes what the church believes. Well, what does, what does the church believe? Well, we all believe the same thing. We don't know what it is, but we all believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want it ever to be said that somebody at Mount Airy Baptist Church didn't understand the basics of the faith and they were led astray by a false teacher. And so I'm going to give you the seven basics of our faith. I want you to write these down. The seven basics of our faith. Because I want you to know what these are. And they're obvious things to most of us. But I want to make sure they are obvious things to all of us. I want to make sure we all understand them. In fact, this would probably be a great sermon series. But right now, I'm, all I'm going to do is just list it. And if you agree with it, uh, you wouldn't hurt my feelings if you said amen. Seven basic doctrines of our faith. Number one, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now the reason that is important is because the Bible is our standard. It's not the writings of a man, not what this individual or that individual says. We believe the ultimate authority is the Word of God. The ultimate authority is not your pastor. The ultimate authority is the Word of God. The ultimate authority is not some other leader. The ultimate authority is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Number two, Jesus is the Son of God who literally came into the world as God in flesh. He is the Son of God who came into the world as God in flesh. And we'll talk more about that one in a few moments. Number three, all people are sinners by nature and by choice. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. Number four, Jesus died as man's substitute on the cross, and He rose again from the grave. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, God in flesh, died as our substitute on the cross, and He rose again from the dead. Number five, the only way we can be saved from our sin is by faith in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that one again in a moment. Number six, the Holy Spirit indwells every true believer. The Holy Spirit of God, at the moment of salvation, comes to live within us and indwells every true believer. Number seven, one day in the future, Jesus will come again. Now, churches and denominations may differ on other matters. Churches and denominations and Christians can differ on other things like church governance and communion and maybe even modes of baptism. We can have that debate about different things. But, ladies and gentlemen, the basic doctrines of the faith that I just showed you, on those basic doctrines, there can be no compromise. These are the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Not the doctrines of the Baptist faith. Not the doctrines of the Methodist faith. Not the doctrines of the Presbyterian faith. Not the doctrines of any denomination. These are the doctrines of the faith. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to believe. This is the foundation when you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
This is the basics of our faith. But, John says, there are many antichrists who used to be part of us. And they will infiltrate the church trying to mislead through their false doctrine. The second characteristic of Antichrist is this. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They absolutely deny that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. The key question that you ought to ask about any religion, the key question you ought to ask about any faith, the key question for every Christian is this question, who is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus merely an example? Is He merely a good man? Is He merely a wonderful teacher? Or is He God in flesh? The thing that sets Christians apart from all others is this. We believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And I want to show you that in Scripture. Chapter 4 of 1 John. In chapter 4, John tells us some things similar to what he said in chapter 2. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Someone has said that you can deny that Jesus is the Christ. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, somebody said that is the master lie. It is the lie of all lies. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God in flesh. And it's interesting, if you'll study the world religions, it's interesting how many of those religions do not deny that Jesus existed. They just deny that He is God's Son, the Savior of the world. One example is Islam. Perhaps the fastest growing religion in the world, according to some. 1.3 billion followers of Islam in our world. The Quran teaches about Jesus. The Quran teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. The Quran says that Jesus was a good man who served God. The Quran acknowledges who Jesus is, that He existed. But the Quran also says He was absolutely not the Son of God. Now listen to your pastor very carefully, very clearly. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand. The Bible is absolutely clear that having a right view of Jesus Christ, that He is God in flesh, Savior of the world, sacrifice for our sins, having a right view of Jesus Christ is essential to genuine salvation. No one can be saved who denies the person or the work of Jesus Christ. False teachers sometimes will say this though. They'll say, well, we worship the same God. We serve the same God. We just don't agree with you on Jesus. You've probably heard that, haven't you? Oh, we all serve the same God. We all love the same God. We worship the same God. We just differ on you about Jesus. But it's the same God. I'm going to let 
John answer that for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies, look at this, he denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John said, you cannot say that you worship God, but you don't worship Jesus. You cannot say that you know God, but you don't know Jesus. John said that is impossible. You can't have a relationship with God unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said in John 5.23, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now false teachers want you to believe that you can know God without believing in Jesus. False teachers want you to believe that that you can know God and, and not accept who Jesus is. That is the spirit of Antichrist at work in our world. John tells us the third thing about the third characteristic of Antichrist is this. They try to deceive the followers of of Jesus. They try to deceive the followers of Jesus. Verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to lead you astray. Now notice this phrase, lead you astray. That means that what they are doing, they are doing intentionally. They have an evil intent. Their desire is evil. They are trying to lead you astray. And the Bible has warned us that this would happen. This should not be new information to you. Jesus has warned us that this would happen. Matthew chapter 24. Put your finger there in 1 John. Go over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 24 and 25. Here's what Jesus said. For false Christ, notice false Christ, and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Jesus said, I've told you ahead of time what's going to happen. I've told you ahead of time that there's going to be false Christ, false prophets, I told you ahead of time there will be people who will come with evil intent and will try to deceive you and mislead you and lead you away. The Apostle Paul told us about that as well over in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Paul said this is actually a sign that we're getting closer to the end. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in the later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In the later times, some will abandon the faith. Why are they going to abandon the faith? Because there will be false messiahs, false Christ, false prophets, false teachers who will have the evil intent of leading people astray. Now, you're probably thinking, you know what, I would have done a lot better if I stayed home because I'm pretty nervous now. 
I, I think it would, this would have been a good Sunday to skip because the preachers got me scared to death. Let me give you the third point before we leave. Here's the third one. Christians can live with certainty in uncertain times. We really can. We can live with certainty in uncertain times. John mentions five reasons why we can live with certainty in uncertain times. I don't have time to explain them all to you, but I am going to list them for you. He says, first of all, you have an anointing which shows you the truth. Verse 20 and 27. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. That is, from the Holy Spirit. And all of you know the truth. You have an anointing. You're not going to be deceived if you're really a follower of Christ. If you're a genuine believer, you don't need to worry because you have an anointing. You have the Holy One that lives within you. You have one who will tell you what is true and what is false. It says it again in verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. John says even in uncertain times you can live with a certainty because the Holy Spirit that lives within you is your teacher who will help you to discern what is true and what is false. Number two, the second reason that we can have hope and certainty in uncertain times, he tells us this. He says, don't let anything or anybody pull you away from Jesus. You can have hope, you can have certainty, if you'll not let anything or anybody pull you away from Jesus. In verse 27, John uses these words as he closes that verse. He says, remain in Him. Those are three simple words, but a powerful message. He was, it was John's way of saying, don't you dare let a false teacher pull you away from Him. Don't you dare let a false teacher, a false prophet, an antichrist, convince you to turn away from Jesus. Remain in Him. Don't you dare walk away from what you know about Jesus Christ. Remain in Him. And you can live with certainty in uncertain days. Number three. John says, another thing that will help you is to live with the awareness of Jesus' return. Look at verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. Continue in Him and recognize that one day He's coming back. Yes, there are many little a antichrists in our world. Yes, there is a time when there will be one big A antichrist that comes into our world. But there is also coming a time, ladies and gentlemen, when the Christ will come into our world. And we have nothing to fear because the Christ will conquer all others. John says, therefore, remain in Him. Hold on to Him. Trust in Him because He is coming back. He tells us the fourth thing is this. Be sure to test what you hear. Be sure to test what you hear. He tells us that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Dear friends, chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he tells you in verse 2 and 3 how to test them. 
John says, listen, just because he's on the radio, just because he's on the internet, just because he's written a lot of books, just because he's got a lot of people following him, just because he's got a lot of people tweeting about him, just because he's somebody famous, just because he's charismatic, you better test what you hear. Test it to see what he says about Jesus and test it by what the Word of God says. Test what you hear in uncertain times. Number five, do not live in fear. Do not live in fear. And he tells us why we don't have to live in fear in chapter 4, verse 4. You, do, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. you got nothing to fear. Oh, yeah, it, it could be scary. Yeah, it, it's going to get worse. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awful sometimes. But John says, but I want to tell you something. No matter how strong evil is, evil might be stronger than you, but it is not stronger than the one who is in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let me tell you something. There is no need to fear when Jesus Christ lives in you. But my question is, does he live in you? Because these are uncertain times and you need to make sure He lives in you. These are times when people are trying to mislead you and pull you away and false doctrine and false teaching and you need to be very, very careful. And the only way that you can handle all of this is to make sure He lives in you. Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. You see, folks, I want to tell you just few things that, that are essential for your life today. First of all, Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. He is God's Son who came in flesh to die for your sin in your place. Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness and He offers to come into your life and make you a different person. And the only thing that Jesus is waiting on, everything that needs to be done for you to be saved has been done except one thing. You need to invite Him into your life. If I were to come to your house and knock on the door, I wouldn't just walk in. I'd stand there until you invited me in. And for many years, for some of you, the Lord Jesus has been on the outside of your life. Today's another day that He's knocking. Today's another day when He's saying, Will you let me come in and change you and love you like you've never been loved? Will you let me come in and offer you forgiveness you've never known? one thing He will not do is force His way into your life. 
And today, He's waiting on that invitation where you simply say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe by faith that You died on the cross for me. And today, I invite You into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And from this day forward, with Your help, I'm going to live for You. He's knocking one more time. Let's pray. Would you join me? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you to stand. As I pray today, it's, it's the opportunity for you to decide, yes, I want and need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel today. You've heard the good news. Will you respond today by faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you right now, right where you are, just to come forward out right here. And we're going to be here to counsel you to help you to pray with you or you can come just to the altar by yourself and you can pray and ask jesus into your heart into your life up in the balcony i want you to come come quickly down here on the lower floor i don't want you to delay just as soon as i say amen or even while i'm praying i want you to step out and you come forward and say pastor i want jesus in my life i want to accept him as my savior i've heard him knock for many times and today i'm opening the door of my heart to him Father, I pray in Jesus' name. First of all, I want to thank You that You have promised us that though these are uncertain times, we can have a certainty when You are in our life. Thank You, Lord, that You want to come live in us and to change us. And I pray, Father, for those people in the balcony or down here on the lower floor, they don't yet have that personal relationship with You. May they today take that step of faith. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.